And uh, why don't you grab your Bibles out? And uh, it's good to be in church, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Do you know? Um, one of the questions um, Jesus' followers asked him, uh, he they asked him to show us how to do the works of God. This was after he'd done some pretty significant miracles. How many of you? That's a pretty cool question to ask Jesus. Uh, show us how to do the works of God. Uh, as a Christian, that'd be quite a cool thing to be able to do, wouldn't it? To do the works of God, wouldn't it? And so often we think, wow, it'd be good to do healing, wouldn't it? To be able to do healing, to just do it. Uh, it'd be good to do feeding them for 5,000, wouldn't that be good? Yeah, that would be quite good to do, wouldn't it? We had a lot of guests around or something like that, just doing feeding the 5,000. You could do feeding of the, filling of the 500 petrol tanks. That'd be a good multiplication miracle, wouldn't it, in the modern era? But Jesus, when he answered the question, answered in such a powerful way as you do when you're, when you're God, he said, uh, your work is to believe in him whom he sent. It's one of the complicated sentences. But when it, when it comes to our work, our work isn't to do miracles. Jesus does miracles. Our work is to believe in Him, who, who God sent, to believe in Jesus, to believe that God is bigger, God is stronger, God is able. You know, so often we like a simple faith, or we'd actually like a, actually a pagan faith where we have the power. Wouldn't that be good? Where we have the power. But we don't have a pagan faith where we get power by doing rituals. Our work this morning was to just believe in Jesus. And could you feel Jesus doing miracles in, our, in the atmosphere of worship? That Jesus comes in and Jesus then does the work. Because then once Jesus does the work, then Jesus can get the glory. Don't you reckon that's a good thing? Our job is to believe in Him. So wherever you're at in your life, I want to challenge you. Can you believe in Jesus in that space? Maybe you've just started school for the year. Maybe you're facing some of the biggest challenges you've ever faced in your life. Maybe sometime when you are facing a big challenge, you can remember this. We've got to believe in Jesus. That's our job. When you're trying to make the ends meet in your financials, right? What's your job? Your job is not to do a miracle of provision. Your job is to believe in Jesus and to follow His Word. Believe in Him. Believe in Him has got something to do with following Him as well. We can't, you know, a lot of people believe in Jesus, but we've got to believe that He's the Son of God. Oh, I believe He's the Son of God. The next question then would be, why aren't you doing what He says? Uh, because you don't believe, right? And so we've got to face up to our unbelief and allow God to move us forward. Amen. How many people are looking forward to tuning in? That's our series for the month. I'm looking forward to it. It's been good fun uh, preparing the material that we're looking at. Um, And uh, across the month, I'm really praying for you. I'm praying for me as well. uh, That that as we we deny our flesh by doing things like avoiding coffee, avoiding dairy products, avoiding meat, the three great things in life, right? Uh, As we do that, we're not doing it just, this is not a, um, we're not, again, we're not doing it to gain power. We're denying in our flesh to allow our spirit to take more of a lead in our life. Something we could do more often, but we're focusing just this month, really. Uh, And as we do that, as our spirit becomes more alive, I'm sure that you're going to find a few things. Number one, you'll find yourself sleeping better. 
You'll, first of all, you'll find yourself sleeping more to start with, uh, but you'll also find yourself sleeping better. And you'll also find when you're awake, you will find yourself uh, having a greater clarity. There's a couple of reasons for that. You're not eating sugar, which helps your brain a little bit. You're not drinking coffee, which helps your brain to be more even throughout the day. You're not trying to digest meat for three days that you ate three days ago, right? So there's a whole lot of things that help your brain work physically. But more so, your spirit is leading you, which gives you focus. Focus to your will. We know that through Scripture, don't we? Uh, that when the Spirit is, of God is alive in us, when we give space for the Spirit of God to come alive in us, uh, then it means that we live life according to God's purposes, right? We walk into God's plan. And so you should find yourself waking up in the middle of the night. I think you'll find yourself doing that more than once across the month, and you will hear God speak to you in a way He hasn't done before. Amen? I particularly hope that those of you who are doing this process for the first time, maybe you've never done an extended fast, I really believe that you're going to, you know, after the first few days when the, um, when you stop having headaches and shakes uh, and the pains disappear, um, you'll first of all realize, man, I probably need to avoid some of those foods more often. Uh, and then you'll also really begin to experience God in a deep and deep way. Amen? It's going to be good. So there's four things we really want people to tune in about. Um, and one of those is to choose a mission trip. And uh, I know there's mission trips happening all over the place. And the first ones of the year are this month. Uh, so on February the 28th, uh, Equipus Church Nelson is launching. And you would have seen that on Facebook this week. Um, some cool pictures of Nelson, the second most beautiful city in New Zealand. And, uh, and Equipus Church Nelson is launching. There's a church that's been there for a long time, but uh, they've got had new leadership for a year. And they're repositioning themselves in a new venue and, uh, and changing their... But they've been equippers-ish for a long time, uh, but they're going to call themselves equippers. So it's a great chance to re, uh, relaunch in a new way, and so they're doing that. They've got a cool building. That's the building that I posted a photo of, of St. Mark's Church in Nelson, an old Methodist church not being used, so it's getting, so that's exciting as well, an old church building getting a new lease of life as well. So tune in about mission trips, and you know, the pastor down there, he's saying this, uh, on February the 28th, and then for at least five weeks after, anyone is welcome to just travel to Nelson. If you've got friends who live in Nelson and you can bring them to church, even better. But even if you don't, travel to Nelson, help them set up on Sunday morning. Then we'll bring your own red t-shirt, help them host. Uh, if you can straighten chairs or anything like that. And then just be in the service, praise and worship loudly. Say amen during the service, during the preaching. Amen. Say amen during the preaching, encourage them, uh, and just connect with them. And you can do that any Sunday that you'd like to. A mission trip to Nelson, have you reckon that's a good idea? Yeah, very, very cool. Okay, and we're also asking people to choose a mountain, and uh, that's not a physical mountain, but it's a sphere of influence in the world. And those different spheres of influence are in the booklet, but they're things like health, education, government, uh, things like business, media, arts, entertainment, sports. Choose an area where you think maybe God's calling you to. What Pastor Sam's suggesting as well is for a lot of people, it's going to be easier to identify a couple. Well, I think in this sort of area. For me, I know God's called me to have an impact in the church. That's why I'm standing here doing what I'm doing today. This is me in my mountain, right? But I also have a real heart for education and for what happens in schools. That's why we've done things like Revolution Tour as well, because I've really got God's called me to one main mountain and then a secondary one, and that could be true for all of us as well. Also, we're asking people to choose an e-group, right? If you'd like to, you can come to my e-group, which is the best in the world. Otherwise, you'll have to choose from the rest. Uh, is that all right? So e 
e-group, and I'm 100% convinced if you're not in the e-group, you're actually missing out in your journey following Jesus. Being part of a small group where you can keep each other accountable, or also just hang out and encourage each other. For our e-group, it was like the other Wednesday, last Wednesday, it was like a million degrees. Um, so we got ice cream, and we went to Orange Bay, and we sat on the seawall, and we talked about what our goals were for the year. And each person shared their goals, and everyone else in the group made their goal harder. Uh, you know, made it more specific, made it more harder to wriggle out of. And it was awesome. It was a great start to e-group for the year. And choose a team. There's lots of great teams to serve in, uh, the hosting team, kids team. Um, and find a way to contribute on a Sunday in the house of God. Amen? Um, very, very good. Um, well, we're tuning in this month, and so I'm, I'm praying that in your prayer time and your fasting, you'll be hearing God uh, and j- tuning in. But what we're preaching about is we're going to be preaching about tuning out. Right, so uh, the theme for the month is tuning in, but me and Jono, we've always been a little bit like this. We're preaching about tuning out. What we're focusing in on this month is something we don't talk about all the time because it doesn't need to be talked about all the time. But the simple reality is there are, there are things in life, there are influences in the world around us, in the spiritual world specifically, there are influences, there, there are voices, there are spirits that we need to tune out in order for us to hear God. How many people have ever bought one of those, um, those FM things for your iPod? Remember back in the older days when we had iPods? Uh, and, yeah, and then you couldn't plug it into your car very much because the tape deck, and et cetera, et cetera. If you're really cool, you bought a little FM tuner that plugs into your thing. It's the, where the cigarette lighter is, right? Uh, where it used to be, right? Because they've all been lost. But you plug your... You plug the FM tuner in, and then you find a free frequency, and then your iPod can go via the, the some it's magic. It's magic is what happens, uh, and it goes via FM um, into the stereo. How many people have ever bought one of those and used one of those? It's quite. Uh, I know I was showing someone who's using one in Wellington, and they're even better now because they're Bluetooth as well, so you don't even have to plug it in. So quite handy. Except when you live in Auckland, like I did when I bought one of these, there is no free frequencies. So you buy it, and you walk out of the shop, and, and there's, no, there's no frequency. If you're driving across the city, there's nowhere where you can actually tune it in because there's so many other frequencies broadcast that you don't hear or you're unaware of, but they're interrupting the thing that you want to hear. And I want to suggest to you across this month, there's a lot of things that will try and interrupt you as you try and tune in. And there are some things that we're going to actually work on in a Sunday, on a Sunday morning, Sunday night. There are some things that we're going to address specifically and tune them out. There are some influences in your life that that across this month, you are going to say, no, that is the end. I'm moving forward from here. Ever had a problem that just keeps coming back? Ever? Ever have a sin that you just keep doing and you don't want to do it, but you just keep finding yourself doing it? Could it be that you're not going to grow out of it? Could it be that it's a little bit more than just learning some more knowledge about something? It could be that your struggle has a demonic influence that you need to take authority over in the name of Jesus and see it come to an end, right? Now, we don't talk about demons a lot in church, but they're talked about a lot in the Bible, uh, funnily enough, they're talked about a, a, an awful lot in the Bible. Some of you are actually looking a little quizzical, right? Uh, the, we're going to read a little passage in a minute, but I've got the numbers here. In the New King James Version of the Bible, these are the numbers. In the New King James Version of the Bible, um, the, 
in, in the New Testament, demons and evil spirits are mentioned or dealt with 82 times. In the Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and hardly any in John, really Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, 61 times we see Jesus talking about demons or directly working against the work of demons in people's lives. Now, if you're going to take demons out of the under- how we understand our Christian journey, you're actually having to take a lot of Jesus out of how it works, right? Now, we all know that we've got to get better and stronger, and we've got to learn, and we've got to be obedient, but actually, sometimes we need to address some of the things that, that are holding us back so that we can follow through on what God's called us to. Amen? We're going to put the Scriptures up on the screen as well. Thank you, Jack. Um, but let's read from Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. I'm going to read this whole story, um, and then we're going to, I've just got four points that I want to bring out, and then we are going to pray, and uh, then we're going to go and enjoy some morning tea. Good plan? Okay, so this, when they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gennesaret, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the cemetery to meet him. Uh, this area, the uh, Gennesaret, is a whole lot of Greek cities. A lot of Greek people had come into the area and a lot of Greek influence had happened. So it's like a cultural area that Jesus was traveling to. And he traveled from his side of the lake across to the other side. And he gets there. And this man who's possessed by an evil spirit comes out to meet him. The man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with chains. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Now, it's not because of his physical power, but no one is strong enough to subdue this demon, right? The Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves in the tombs, in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now, there's, there's, there's no other way to understand this than this person is in a bad way, right? The, the, it doesn't matter how tough your life is, uh, you're all doing better than he is. Here you are, you all have your clothes on. Right? Right? And so as long as that remains, then we're all doing okay, right? But this guy is in a lot of trouble. And Jesus, though, was some distance away in verse 6. He's coming on the boat. The guy's coming. And Jesus is some distance away. And the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed down before him with a shriek. And he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus Son of the Most High God, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Because Jesus had already spoken to him. So the sentence is confusing. Jesus had already spoken to this demon. Right? So he said, Jesus had already spoken to the spirit and said to him, come out of this man. So the the flow of the narrative is is jumbled, right? Because that's how they do it if you're a Jew, right? Uh, But Jesus gets out of the boat. Man sees him. The, the, the man with the evil spirit runs at Jesus and bows down in worship, which is pretty amazing, right? He sees Jesus, he runs at Jesus and bows down in worship. One of the few people in the Gospels to actually recognize who Jesus was is this demon-possessed man. He worships Jesus, and then Jesus says to the evil spirit, come out of him. Right, And then the evil spirit shrieks, and then there's this strange dialogue, um, and Jesus says to him, 
well, who are you? What's your name? And the evil spirit replies, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. A legion was something like 2,632 Roman soldiers, right? There are many of us inside this man. And then the evil spirits begged him again and again, do not send them off into some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs that were feeding on the hillside. I've already said this is a Greek area. That's why there was pigs, right? Uh, Nearby, send us into those pigs, the spirits begged him. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and they entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside and into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen, that's the pig pig herders, fled to a nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed, right? He's a bit of a, he's a notorious person, right? They see him, they know who he is. He's been possessed by a legion of demons. He was sitting there, and he's fully clothed, and he's perfectly sane, and they were all very happy. They were all amazed. They were all filled with wonder. No, it says they were all afraid. And they said, what's happened? And they, others told him about the demon possessed man. They told him what had happened. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus. And this is what they said. Jesus, would you help us as well with our issues? Jesus, would you help us find freedom as well? Just like you've helped this man. No, this is what they did. They didn't say that at all. They pleaded with Jesus to go away. And leave them alone. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what the demons said as well. Isn't an interesting response? Jesus is broken through. This notorious man has been set free. And the people say to Jesus, go away. Because why? Because they're afraid. What are they afraid of? Why would they be afraid? The demons just got cast out. The demons have gone. I wonder what they're afraid of. I think maybe they're afraid of themselves. Afraid of their own issues. They're afraid of dealing with their own self. And so they said, Jesus, go away, leave us alone, right? Uh, Verse 16, as Jesus was getting into his boat to leave, he's finished now, he's off. The man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region. And he began to proclaim the great things that Jesus has done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. So my first point this morning is this one. And you could write this down if you're taking notes. Otherwise, you're going to have to really tax your mind to remember it. But the first first point is this, is there really are demons. We just read a pretty long passage of the book of Mark. I just told you how many times Jesus dealt with demons throughout his ministry. The reality is that demons are part of the spiritual realm. They're part of the, the spiritual reality, and they have an influence and they have impact on, on, on the earth, on physical matters. Demons are a group of angels who left heaven. So you may know the story that, that Satan, who was, who was Lucifer, was one of the, a powerful angel in heaven who rose up in himself and wanted to be God rather than to worship God. It's the same sort of sin that afflicted Adam and Eve as well, wanting to make the rules rather than to follow the rules. And then Satan, and the Bible describes that one third of the angels, the Bible actually says one third of the stars were cast down. And one third of the angels were thrown out of heaven. And these angels are who we refer to as demons or evil spirits now, right? 
The important thing to always remember is this. One third of the angels are now demons, right? Which means that demons are outnumbered by angels two to one, uh, which is those are my sort of odds. Uh, if I'm going into some sort of confrontation, I would like to be at least twice as strong as the enemy. So demons aren't something that we need to be frightened of, but they are something that we should be aware of. Scripture tells us not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes, and and, and demons are one of uh, are the outworkers of the enemy's schemes. So we shouldn't need to be afraid because angels out de- outnumber demons, but also we've read we've read the book of Revelation, haven't we? We've read the end of the story, so we know what happens to the works of the enemy. We know that Jesus' ultimate fulfillment at the end of time is that Satan himself is cast into the lake of fire. And in fact, it's an interesting uh, little passage because it gets to the point where everything is wrapping up and God says, okay, that's enough. Jesus said, that's enough. And uh, that's, that's the end. Uh, Satan's going to be bound. He's not going to be free to work anymore. And it says that one angel is sent to bind Satan. And then one angel picks up Satan and throws Satan into the lake of fire. Because see, one angel, obedient to God, accessing the whole power of God, is far more powerful than all of the works of the enemy, right? That's, we've got to remember that as big as, as demons can be in our world, as much pressure as that they can put on us, God is the person we worship because God is supremely bigger than any of those. You know, it doesn't even name that angel. So it's not one of the big ones. Jesus didn't send, you know, Michael or Gabriel. It's just, you know, whoever the new boy was that day got sent to do that job, right? Right? So so demons are really real, right? They're a group of these fallen angels, right? And we can see that God has a plan and he's working his plan, but the enemy is doing everything he can to work against what God is doing. The other thing to note about demons is that demons are these uh, disembodied, they're disembodied spirits and they are looking for a home. You can see it. The reason I chose that story, you can see that the motivation of these demons is to they need somewhere to live, right? A, a demonic influence needs a body to work through, right? Because it's a disembodied spirit. It needs a body to work through. So demons like anger and lust are looking for a home. They're, they're desperately seeking a home. We can see these demons were happy with the pigs. The pigs were going to be a body enough for them to work through rather than uh, just being sent off into distant lands. We don't know what that really means, but to be sent out into the disembodied realm, we'll understand that one day. We don't need to worry about it today, right? The point is this, that we need to understand that demons are looking for a way into our world. Demonic influences are looking for a way into your life. They're looking to attack you. You can see pretty quickly what happened to the pigs. Now, pigs are not as intelligent as humans in most cases, all right? And so the pigs weren't able to deal with it, and they were instantly destroyed. But the work of demons, demons are trying to get inside you, and then they're trying to destroy you, right? That's what they're trying to do. They've got a, they've got a role to play. They've got a job to do, and they're working it at it hard. Now, there is uh, a view of Scripture that you'll read. So if you're reading Scriptures in the New Testament and you're reading the commentaries, there's, there's the, the view of Scripture that I hold, which is the correct one, and there's a, an, a heretical view of these stories, right? So other people, other scholars would read this story that we've read in Mark 5, and they would read others, and they would describe demons differently, right? A bit like how we talk about demons now. People use the word demons now just to talk about problems, Right, you know, so and so has beaten their demons. Right, 
Uh, and all it means is that they've, they've finally paid off their bills and they've gone through drug and alcohol rehab. They actually haven't done anything about the demons, right? They've just done those things. And then you, you, if you watch, you know, if you watch, keep reading the Women's Weekly, they'll come back up in the story. Uh, the, the demons, because the demons are actually still there, right? They didn't deal with the demons. They just put a lid on their demons, right? And the demons are still doing that, right? But how the, some scholars would say that in the Jewish world at the time, uh, certain types of afflictions, mental illnesses or sicknesses were attributed to demonic influence in Jewish thinking, Right? And then we can see here Jesus addressing the demon, talking to the demon. But some scholars say that Jesus was just pretending. So Jesus was just pretending to engage with demons because that's what everyone believed. But really he was just doing his normal miracle healing type work for a sick or afflicted person, right? Uh, Which is a very disingenuous read of the scripture. So the story I just read, there's no real sense that Jesus was play acting, right? There's no real sense of, if you read the rest of it, uh, of, the, of the gospel, there's no real sense that he's playing. And if you, if you were a scholar who believes that, you'd have to believe that Jesus, between 50 and 70% of the time, he was just using demons as a sort of a metaphysical, metaphorical gesture, which is very non-Jewish. So I don't want to get into that. That Jews just didn't think or talk like that. They didn't use things like demons as a, as a representation of something. They actually believe stuff because they have a concrete thinking, okay? You, you can think about that another time, right? Let's have a look at a bunch of scriptures and see if, what, if we agree with the scholars or we're going to agree with people who just read the Bible, right? In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, it says this, uh, That evening many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick, right? So there are two separate ideas in that passage, right? Matthew chapter 9, 32 to 33. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. Matthew 17, 18 says, Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Mark 3, verse 14 to 15. Then he appointed 12 of them. These are the apostles. He called them to be his followers, and they were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Mark 6, verse 12 to 13. So the disciples went out. They told everyone they met. Look at this. Imagine this. This could be a good way to approach Christian. The disciples went out, and they told everyone they met, repent of your sins and turn to God. All right. How many know that's a great way to engage socially? And verse 13, and they cast out many demons and they healed many sick people, also anointing them with oil. Mark 16, verse 17 says, These miraculous signs will accompany those who what? Believe. Which is what I said at the start. We've got to, our job is to believe, right? We believe in a great big God who represented himself in Jesus fully and completely, who's still with us in the Holy Spirit. That's who we believe in, right? We believe, right? And because we believe, these miraculous signs will accompany us, right? We will cast out demons in his name, and we will speak with new languages. That's pretty cool, wasn't it? Uh, in Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis describes some interesting interactions with demons. Uh, but C.S. Lewis is on the record of quite a few times. He's a great thinker, a great Christian thinker. And he, he says that there's two types of people that Satan admires the most. There's two types of people that he's happy with, right? 
Uh, the first type of people are the people who don't believe in demons, right? Because people who don't believe in demons, then Satan's got free reign. He can do whatever he wants, and he'll never be exposed because uh, they don't believe in demons. The other people that Satan really appreciates are people who believe that everything is a demon. Right, so every problem, every issue. Oh, I can't find a car park. Blimmin' demons. Oh, you know, bananas aren't on special. Blimmin' demons. Our petrol price is going up. It's the devil. Right. The, the, so the superstitious and the skeptic are both people that Satan can manipulate and control endlessly and effortlessly. Come on, you're in. You're actually. Le- you actually right now. You're leaning to one of those camps. Right, because none of you are Jesus. Jesus is right in the middle of truth. Right, all of us, we either lean towards the skeptical or we lean towards uh, that there's a demon behind every tree, right? And it's really just demons doing it. It's not my fault. I don't need to be. I don't need to be discipled or anything like that. It's the demons. Just need, I just need to cast out the demon. I just need to cast out. I've heard people cast the calories out of their food before they overeat, right? Now the reality is that's just not. It's just a stupid way to live, right? We've got to come back to the middle and find a place of truth, right? There's not a demon behind every tree, right? But there are demons at work in our world trying to influence us negatively. And there's a real place where we could come to, right? Famous pastor Jack Hayford, he puts it this way. He says this, you can't cast out the flesh, right? You've got a flesh nature, a human nature that entices you to do wrong things, uh, entices you to do uh, you know, f- uh, uh, things that are against the will of God, right? And your flesh needs to be discipled. Right? You need to be, your flesh needs to be discipled. You can't just cast out your flesh. You can't just cast out selfishness. You just need to be discipled to be generous, right? Right? You just can't cast it out, right? Uh, but at the same time, you can't disciple your demons. If a demon of anger or lust has made a home in your heart, no amount of discipline is going to get rid of that problem. It's going to still be there, right? You need to, on the one hand, you need to disciple your flesh. And on the other hand, you need to deal with demons and they need to be taken authority of and cast out, right? Do you know the hope comes for people who realize they have an issue? There's only one type of people Jesus can't help. There's only one type of person that Jesus can't help. It's the person who doesn't believe they, have, they need any help then Jesus can't do anything. So if you're, even right now, if you're starting to feel like, oh man, maybe I actually have some things going on inside of me that need to be dealt with, can I assure you of two things? You do, right? You do have stuff that needs to be dealt with. If you're alive in the modern world, you do get dirty. Stuff gets at you, right? But the reality is, we know God, a God who sets us free, don't we? That's what we celebrate. That's who we're praising. That's why we're worshiping. Because that, that He set us free already. He can keep us setting us free. Amen. Uh, and uh, point number two is this: is that there really are demons, and number two, they really do enter people. We read in this story, Mark chapter five, this guy is referred to as demon possessed. Uh, the old, that's sort of the old language. Um, a better way to think about it is demonized. Is probably a better word. There's demons uh, involved, right? Um, John 10 verse 1 is, John 10's an awesome passage talking about how, really talks about how Jesus and his followers and the enemy all interplay in the world, right? It's a great little passage. Uh, in John 10, 1, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks in over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber, right? He doesn't say this. Jesus doesn't say this about the sheepfold 
which is the which is the um, the safety of his presence. He doesn't say the robber can't get in. Right, the robber can't get in through the gate. Who's the gate? The gate is Jesus. So come if we're if we're keeping connected with Jesus through our relationship with Jesus, evil influences can't come in through the gate. But he doesn't say the robber can't get in. He says anything that sneaks in over the wall, that's a robber, that's a thief. And so here's the thing: the devil is the enemy, the demonic forces are trying to sneak into your world. What's the problem when someone's sneaking? You don't know that they are. If the devil was just trying to come through the gate, we'd know all about it because Jesus would stop him. There'd be a big war, right? But the devil's trying to sneak in over the wall of your life. When your guard is down, when you're in weak moments, the enemy is trying to get a foothold, the New Testament teaches us, trying to make a space in your world, right? And we've got to be aware of that, right? Uh, let's have a look at these words. In the church, we use this word demon possess. Uh, um, the, the Greek words are demoni and something else, right? And the, the something else word gets translated possessed. But it, it, could have two, it can have two meanings. It can be uh, possession as possession has two meanings, right? So possession means ownership, right? So I, I possess this telephone, right? Well, you all do, actually. It's a church one. But we all possess this telephone, right? <laughs> So we possess the telephone, right? The church, is, the phone is possessed by the church, right? But the second definition of possession means to have mastery over or to control. So the church possesses this phone, but I possess it because I have mastery over it. It's under my control. It's in my pocket, right? Uh, another passage in Scripture where they use this word possess, you've heard before. Paul says, with faith and patience, possess your soul. Have you heard that one? Same word, possess your soul, demon possessed. Now, here's the issue. For New Testament Christians, demons can't own us because Jesus owns us. So the demons can't own you. They do not own you. They can never own you because once you've surrendered your life to Jesus, who owns you? We are not our own. We are bought with a price, purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's a great song. It's got a good little vibe, right? The reality is this, because we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, demons don't own us, right? Go back to the other one, faith and patience possess your soul. You can't own you either. So faith and patience doesn't give you ownership of your soul. What does faith and patience give you? It gives you mastery or control over or strength over your soul, influence over your soul. So when the Bible says this man was demon-possessed, he wasn't owned by the demons, but the demons had got mastery over him. How do we know that? He was living in the tombs, naked. He was howling. He was cutting himself with stone. He's behaving in a way that is probably... Probably not normal, right? He's behaving in a way that's contrary to his character. Do you ever find yourself compulsively behaving in a way that's contrary to the character of Christ? I wonder if something is possessing you, doesn't own you, but it's got control or mastery over you. The reality is when you can acknowledge it, when you can identify it, then you can have victory in it. Let's imagine... Let's imagine uh, you left the house in a hurry this morning because you're recovering from jet lag, Shane, or you didn't have coffee, the rest of us, right? You left your house in a hurry this morning and you didn't lock the door or you left a window open, right? And then while you're at church, a thief or a robber has got into your house. 
Do they own your house? No, that's the issue, right? (laughs) They do not own your house. But while you're at church or down at the shops afterwards, as long as you're not there, as long as you're unaware, they've got power over your house and everything in it. Because they're in. Once they're in, they've got power over. They've got mastery over. They can lock the door and keep you out. Right? Until what? Until you're aware. When's the thief? The game for the thief is up. The game's up as soon as you're aware. Why? Because as soon as you're aware, you just ring 111, please come around, arrest the guy, and drag him out. If there's a thief in your house, no one's scared. Oh, there's a thief in my house. No, you might be angry, but you shouldn't be scared. You should just ring 111. There's a thief in my house. This is the address. Right? Do you have to go in? Do you have to arrest the thief? No, don't arrest the thief. We don't, we, don't have to go, we don't have to chase the thief out. We don't have to arrest the thief. We just need to be aware and we need to call 111. Once soon as we're aware, let's call 111. Here's the reality. Could it be that some things have snuck in over the wall of your life through your growing up years, through the influence of your through things you've watched on TV, through things you've allowed into your mind or through your eyes, things you've heard, things you've allowed into your heart, has an has a, a unforgiveness turned into bitterness, turned into pain? Is there fear that grips you? Come on, if it's, as soon as you become aware, come on, let's ring Jesus and get that issue arrested and removed so that you once again have mastery over your own soul. Amen. Um, let's imagine, maybe, maybe you don't have to imagine, right? But if you were to drink an awful lot of alcohol, right? If you were to drink an awful lot of alcohol, uh, you drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. Now, uh, does the alcohol own you? But it's in you and it's influencing you. Right? It's in you and it's influencing you, right? So someone who drinks a lot and then does things that they regret, they can't then say, well, it was the alcohol that did it. Right? In reality, what was it? It was they, it was them that did it, but it was what they let inside them that influenced them to do something that they regret. And I wonder if, if I like those two illustrations. I got them off Pastor Robert Morris. I love those two illustrations because the, the issue is, are you aware of what's going on in your house. Because probably you're not, right? Because when I read it, I thought, oh man, I'm not really aware. I'm not really paying that much attention to home security in my own soul. Are you aware of what you're putting into your own heart? What are you putting into your own soul? Because it doesn't own you, but it still can possess you. Very cool. Point number three. So point number one was they really are demons. Point number two is they really are trying to enter people. Uh, Point number three uh, is that Jesus really does cast them out. That's what he does, right? Um, in, In Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 21, let's read that. It says, He's just sent out the 70, um, which is a significant moment in his ministry. The, first the 12, then the 70, then there's the 120 in the upper room. He sends out these 70 disciples um, to minister. Uh, he sent them out and they returned. Uh, he re- oh. When the 70 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, right? This is their joyful report. Lord, even the demons obey us in your name. Now, I talked about how many times demons are in the New Testament. They're not in the Old Testament very often. There's one really interesting story about David and Saul. 
Uh, there's other bits and pieces where, where you can see demons at work, but they're not much in the Old Testament because until Jesus came, no one really had authority over demons. Right, we can see David exercised authority over demons, but not permanently. The demon kept coming back, and David could just influence it away. But we see in Jesus, now the disciples, what they're coming back is they're like, whoa, 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 this is a whole new reality. So Jewish people could cast out demons, but, but you know, right, right, the problems come back. You've got the stories of David, right? These guys are casting out demons, and they've got authority over demons, right? It's not that it's the most exciting thing that happened on their trip. I'm sure they had great breakfast, and they were all on, you know, pictures of their breakfast on Instagram and everything. But they, the reason they're reporting this to Jesus is this is the most significant difference. Now, now that you've sent us out, Jesus, we have authority over demons. We have authority over the works of the enemy in your name. Now, uh, when we pray, we often say, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Um, but that's not really what in your name means. It means under the authority of. So you can't just say in the name of Jesus. You have to be in the name of Jesus. It's a state of being right? It's our state of being connected with Jesus, believing in Jesus. That's what gives us authority. That's what allows us to use His authority, actually, not our authority, use His authority to exercise those demons, right? And then He says, yes, He tells them. And then He says this crazy thing, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. And nothing will injure you. Isn't that pretty awesome? Now, the, Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, um, yes, yes, I know. I saw Satan fall from heaven. Jesus was there when Satan was cast out of heaven. So he's saying, yeah, yeah, demons, demons, yeah, yeah, old, old news. I've given you authority. You can crush them all under your feet. That's that's why I'm here. That's what I'm here. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, I saw him fall from heaven. I've chased him back here. I'm giving you authority to chase him out. Right? That's what he's sort of saying. Like, it's not like Jesus, Jesus is not bringing them a revelation. He's just connecting their revelation with his reality. Right? Good. And then he says, then he says this, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Right? Because that's really just a side project. The big deal is this, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. That's what we celebrate. We don't, it's not, it's not a big deal to get free of a demon. It's just not a big deal. What's a really big deal is that you have your name registered in heaven. So you're no longer a citizen of Wellington. You're no longer a citizen of New Zealand. You're no longer a member of your culture. You're now a citizen of heaven with an eternal destiny. That's a big deal. And on the way, crush things that you walk on. Do you like that? I reckon that sometimes we make demons bigger and the reality of salvation small. The reality of salvation is so big. And on our way to heaven, we're here on earth to crush the works of the enemy. We're here to destroy the works of the enemy in our lives and in the influences in our community. That's what God has called us to. That's who we are as people. Don't you reckon that's cool? Check this last little bit. At the same time, Jesus was filled with joy out of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Thank you for hiding these things. Here's a trick for us. From those who think themselves wise and clever. Oh, I don't believe in all that demon stuff. I'm too wise and clever. Well, no, the reason you don't believe it is because you think yourself wise and clever. 
So as soon as you think you're real wise, as soon as you think you're real clever, you're blinded to these realities. As soon as you can simply say, Jesus, show me how to live free. Jesus, show me how to outwork your plan. You'll suddenly realize, hey, there's stuff going on in my world that I don't understand that I need some help with. and I need you to break it. Uh, I need you to set me free, Lord Jesus. Thank you for hiding these things from the wise and the clever, or sorry, for those who think themselves are wise and clever, and revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Do you know, a childlike faith in Jesus is still the most powerful force in the universe. I know in my own personal world, there's a few issues in my life where I've thought, I just need to learn more about this. I need to read some more books. And maybe you need to do that, right? Because you have to discipline the flesh. But being wiser and being cleverer is not what's needed. What's needed is a childlike faith that says, Jesus, please set me free. Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm presenting this issue to you. Set me free from the influence and the powers of the works of the enemy. Amen? So point number four is that Satan does not have the power to stop you from coming to Jesus. Right across this month, come on, Satan doesn't have the power to stop you from coming to Jesus. Oh, I've got these issues, but I just don't know how to deal with it. Have you ever had an issue just too big to talk to anyone about? Just too big to even to repent of or bring to Jesus? It's not Satan stopping you, it's you stopping you from coming to Jesus. Now this, the, the guy in the story, the reason this Mark 5 story is a good one is because it's so extreme. Here's a guy who's completely out of control. His life is completely disordered because of the demonic forces that are at work in his world. But what did he do? He saw Jesus, he ran, and he worshipped. And he was ultimately set free. He ran, and he worshipped. What we tend to do is we see Jesus and we say, go away because we're afraid. Just like the rest of the townspeople did. Go away because we're afraid. What are we, what are we afraid of? Are we afraid of being free? Maybe we're afraid of being free. Probably we're afraid of being embarrassed. Probably we're afraid of exposing our weaknesses. But you know, I think it's a strange thing to be embarrassed before a God who knows everything. But we still are, right? But maybe this morning we could get past our embarrassment and say, no, I'm running to you, Jesus. I'm going to run to you, Jesus. I, I'm not going to care what I, you know, here's the deal. Most of us, we can deal with stuff one-on-one with God in our heart. So it's not really about the people around us, right? But often the people around us, you know, we can, we can care too much what they think about us, right? But mostly it's what we, think, what we think about us that holds us back. We embarrass ourselves in our own relationship with God. That's, that's the power of having, f- you know, four songs, the band leading us, an opportunity just to stand in God's presence. Why? Because you just get over yourself a little bit. Get past yourself a little bit. And just like we had in those two songs of worship, just an opportunity just to allow, just to worship Jesus, and then miracles begin to happen. We begin to believe in Jesus, and God begins to work in our world. That's why at the end of the worship time, you're like, wow, that, that feels different. Why? Because God's been working miracles in your heart. Amen? A lot of people say that Jesus can't help them because they're too messed up. But I've said this already, you all managed to come to church with your clothes on. So you're not too messed up. Oh, it's going to take years and years and years. Well, it might do, but it doesn't have to. 
doesn't necessarily have to. Here's this guy, 2,000 plus demons, right? The demons that were in him killed a whole herd of pigs, right? He was actually probably doing okay, considering, right? He was actually holding it together quite well. What did Jesus do? Jesus cast the demons out. Then straight away, he get, they get dressed, obviously. They give him some clothes. He's perfectly sane. He's in his right mind. And then he wants to become one of Jesus' followers, but Jesus doesn't let him. Jesus says, no, you're ready to preach. Go and preach in all these ten towns. He becomes the first ever, the first ever apostle, the first ever missionary, the first ever pastor, the first ever leader. He was one of the first to recognize Jesus, and he's the first to be sent out on ministry. After no discipleship, no process, just a moment with Jesus. Now, yes, you need discipleship, and yes, you need process, right? But you also, hey, some of us need just moments with Jesus to just get rid of some crap, just to shake off some things that are holding us back and move forward in our lives. Amen? Over the next few weeks, John and I are going to focus, each sermon is going to be focusing around a different demon. So uh, it's going to be really intense, uh, right? But this morning, what I want to do is I want us to run to Jesus and worship.